Do I have anybody in this room that can testify that we have a God of power? Can anybody be a witness to me today? We have a King of glory. We have a risen King who is returning. Wherever you're coming from today, you need to know there is a God who is alive today in this room who wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to speak to you. This is an opportunity to experience God himself as a community. Let's go before this God with some expectation. We're gonna read from God's word today. This will also be our passage. It is in Psalm 78. Starting in verse four, it says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. It's gonna be a good sermon today, buddy. I'm just telling you, get ready for some preaching today. Verse seven, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Let's pray together. Jesus, we acknowledge your presence in this place right now. You are a God of power. You are a God of miracles, glorious deeds, Lord, have been done in your name. I pray that you would speak to us now. Let us hear from your word. Let this be a holy encounter with the living God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Let me hear it, everybody. Amen, amen. You may take a seat. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all in the room. Everybody online joining us. If we haven't met, my name's Brian, one of the pastors here at the church. If you're new, just so glad to have you. Just hope you feel comfortable. Yeah, so happy to have you around. Happy summer for the parents. School's out. I'll be praying for you for the next two to three months as you survive your children being out of school. <laughs> um, we're going to get right down to it here, everybody. I wouldn't expect you to recognize this name, but there's this woman named Leona Hemsley. She was this New York business titan socialite type woman. And actually just a few years ago, she passed away. And so all of her friends and family were wondering, where is she going to leave this inheritance? Like, who's going to get all the money? And to their shock and horror, not only did she cut most of her family members out of the will completely, you know who the greatest beneficiary was on her will? Her dog. She left $12 million to her dog, Trouble. Is, is anybody horrified by this? Am I the only one who's like ridiculously offended by the fact that she did this? Now, I bring this up because we start thinking about inheritance or wills or possessions or what you leave behind. You, get, you start thinking about money and all that stuff. Fascinating. We actually are on the verge of what researchers are calling the greatest wealth transfer in modern history. So baby boomers, you know who you are, right? The baby boomers have a total net worth of $35 trillion, which is now going to get passed on to the next generation. $35 trillion. Now think about this. A lot of money is about to be transferred to the next generation. I am wondering though, with how much money is being passed on, how much faith is getting passed on to the next generation? Are we handing off a potent powerful faith in God to this next generation. Are people's bank accounts going to be 
bursting at the seams and overflowing while their souls are still bankrupt. I'm wondering for anybody in here, have you ever thought about the spiritual inheritance you received? What was left behind you? Have you ever thought about the spiritual inheritance you might leave to the people coming after you? What deposit of faith you're putting in the lives of people coming in behind you? Because today we are bringing the final conclusion to raise them up. This series we've been in for the last month. I'm kind of sad it's over. I've been having fun with this one. It's been a good time, but we're bringing it to conclusion. And if you're just joining us, the whole premise of this series is that we have a call as followers of Jesus, to raise up this next generation in the power and presence of God. We have a call to change the spiritual trajectory of this next generation because it is dire, everybody. We are in a desperate situation for the lives of these kids, and we need to raise up some of the greatest Christian leaders this world has ever seen. That is the rally cry for our church. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Now, a part of this has been this initiative we launched called Hills Academy. I need a woo-woo for Hills Academy right now. Thank you. Now, what is so unbelievable about Hills Academy is we have this vision to launch a world-class Christian early education center. This is going to be an institution to set the bar for all other institutions to send out kids into this world, not just to survive the culture, but thrive in it and transform it from the inside out. We want to see some of the greatest Christian leaders come out of this church. And this academy is a huge tool for that. And for three weeks, we've been pushing this vision and letting people know about it. Anybody ready for some Hills Academy updates? <laughs> you think you can handle it? I don't think you're ready for some of these updates. I, I don't think you can handle it. You don't sound like you want it bad enough. Do you want to hear some of these updates? Okay, I'm telling, here's what I'll say. I'll give you some updates by the end of the sermon, okay? I promise that I'll give you some. It's gonna be worth the wait. It is gonna be worth the wait, I'll tell you that. But we start talking about this idea of inheritance. We think of this idea of legacy. If anybody in here has seen the Hamilton play, there's a quote in there where they say, legacy is planting seeds in a garden you will never see. You think about your legacy, it's essentially what is going to live longer than you do. What is getting left behind for you? Because all of us, there's probably maybe some money, some possessions, those things you think about taking care of and passing on. But if you are a Christian here, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility. You actually have an obligation to leave a spiritual inheritance to leave behind as much spiritual wealth as you possibly can. And so our challenge for this last week, our rally cry push is, what does it look like to truly leave a spiritual inheritance behind you? To leave a massive spiritual legacy that will benefit generations to come. And that's what we're gonna dig into now in Psalm 78. The first challenge we really have from this text that we read is we must tell the stories. We need to tell the stories. In verse four of Psalm 78, this is what the writer says. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. What's so interesting to me is you read through the Bible, there are so many challenges to God's people to tell the stories of the powerful work of God throughout history. We actually have a responsibility to pass it on. 
And I actually find this kind of interesting, especially at the moment in time we are right now, because there's kind of like an obsession with genealogies and ancestries right now. Anybody do like Ancestry.com, 23andMe? Like, we really want to know, where did I come from? Who are my random ancestors? You know, am I like some weird thing that I don't even know? Like, there's an interest in it. We want to know where we came from. What's our history? And there's actually these two researchers, Marshall and Sarah Duke. They're two psychologists. Marshall at least is uh, at Emory University currently. They study the dynamics of families. And they recently started to focus their research on the breakdown of families in America. So they're trying to figure out what's happening with the family dynamics in our country. But they came across some fascinating findings. They weren't even expecting to find some of this stuff. This is what they found. The more children know about their family history, the better they score on multiple success indicators, including self-control, self-esteem, emotional regulation, and a lot of others. They went as far as to say this, knowing your family history, they say, turned out to be one of the greatest indicators of a child's emotional health and happiness, knowing your family history. Now you wonder, you're like, why does that play such an important role in somebody's emotional health and their stability in life? Here's what they say. Somebody who knows their family history forms, this is their term, an intergenerational self. They form an identity where they know they are part of a larger family. They know they are part of something bigger than themselves. You see the findings from those studies, and it is no shock then that there would be so many charges throughout the Bible to help kids understand the history and what they are part of. And here's the thing. This is not just about passing on physical legacy and stories like that, your genealogy. This is about passing on your spiritual legacy and history because you are a part of a spiritual family. You have to help kids understand that they are a part of this long legacy of people that have come before them, worshiping the same God, seeking the same God. When they hear stories about David and Esther and Mary and Paul, we have to be so careful that kids don't just think they're hearing Christian fairy tales to teach them morality. They have to understand they are a part of this tapestry of God's work in history that they are now playing a role in. So are you passing on biblical stories to this next generation? Do they know that they're a part of this work of God that has been going on throughout history in people's lives and now theirs as well? We have to tell the stories of God's work. But it's actually, it's not just the biblical stories. You got to pass on some of the personal stories too. I'm wondering, is there anybody in here that has some stories of God's miraculous works in your life? Do you have glorious deeds of God working in your life that you would want to pass on to somebody else? Have you seen his wonders that you have to make sure people hear so it can build their own faith? You have to pass on your personal stories of God's work to strengthen and bolster the faith of people coming up behind you. Nicole and I actually have some of these stories ourselves. One of our stories is pretty profound, and I think it's an important part of our journey and instilling faith in other people just to show that God truly comes through. Because it was a couple of years ago when Nicole and I truly felt like we were supposed to move out to Colorado. And I know what you're all thinking. Of course, Brian, everybody thinks that. They all feel called to Colorado. As long as you're not from California, it's fine. But we know everybody feels that way. But here's the thing. Nicole and I are at this 7-Eleven right off 120th in Brighton. And 
all these things start coming to place. I was getting recruited to start a church out here. Actually, that's part of the story. All these organizations, this funding, the housing, everything was set up. And Nicole stops and we're at the 7-Eleven. She's like, hey, do you feel like we're called to Colorado? And I was like, well, I sure hope so because we've been taking a lot of these steps. It feels like it's coming together. She's like, no, I really believe that God is calling us to this state. Like we are supposed to be here. And she's like, even if all of our plans fall apart, we need to come to Colorado. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, sure, honey. Well, as luck would have it, two days later, everything falls apart. All of the plans fall through, the funding, the housing. In one day, we were homeless. I was jobless. We had a one-year-old kid, a wife who was pregnant, and a dog that I am not leaving $12 million to when I die, by the way. Everything fell apart. And Nicole and I looked at each other and we said, what do we even do? And she's like, God called us to Colorado. So we're going to Colorado. And all of our stuff is moving out there. I've got no job. We got nowhere to live. The moving truck pulls up to the house that we were now not allowed to live in because of this situation. I pull up the truck and it's our mattresses and all the kids stuff and everything. I call my wife and I say, Nicole, am I really unloading this truck? Because there ain't nothing here for us. And this is my wife. Unload the beeping truck right now. Words I cannot use in church. That's real talk, all right? The biggers talk real sometimes. I just got to be honest. <laughs> unload the beeping truck. And so I unload that truck. We moved seven times in three months. People's basements. Our stuff was in a house that was rat infested at one point. That's a long story. In the middle of all this, we have a daughter that's born with severe men, uh, medical risks that totally traumatized our family. I get laid off from a job in March of 2020. Does anybody remember what was going on in March of 2020? This is not a good time to not have a job in case you're wondering. And through all of this, these crazy steps of faith that felt like ridiculous. It was like, this isn't even working. We're trying to follow God. In the middle of this, we saw God provide jobs at the last minute. We were actually building a house when I wasn't employed. The builder kept saying, um, so you kind of need a job to do this. And I was like, oh, don't worry. I have a job. Didn't have a job at all. Totally didn't have a job. Um, was maybe lying. I'm just going to be honest. And yet the job came on the last possible day before we lost this house that we're now living in. My daughter, who was born with a medical risk, was able to have the best care from the number one doctor on planet Earth who was in Colorado that we couldn't have known before she was even born. And even when you think about the random scenario of starting to attend a church called Northern Hills, just randomly not expecting anything, that now God has opened the door for you to join the staff as one of the pastors on the team. I'm telling you, Northern Hills, I've seen the work of God in my life. I've seen him direct. I've seen him guide. I've seen his miraculous works. I'm just wondering, do you have any stories? Have you seen God work in your life? Has he done miracles on your behalf? Do you have something worth passing on to the kids coming up behind you to encourage and bolster their faith? And I know some of us in here, you might say, well, Brian, my story's so boring. It's lame. I don't have a lot to talk about. I'm telling you, if you're in this room right now, you got a story. <laughs> you're not in this room if something didn't go down in your life. If you're following Jesus, you've got a story. You're either part of this incredible legacy of faith in your family where people have been so solid. You might be the first link in the chain of a spiritual legacy that's happening. You have a story. You need to start sharing it. It builds the faith of people around you, especially the next generation. And if you feel like you don't have a lot of stories, just say, God, give me a story. Because trust me, he will answer your prayer. He'll start doing all sorts of stuff in your life and making you freak out and walk into faith. You got to know the stories. Are you asking other people their stories? Do you know some of your spiritual history? Nicole and I 
we'll have people over from the church all the time. We'll get to you eventually, I promise, all right, if we haven't had a chance to hang out. And the thing I always ask, I'm like, what's the story? I want to hear. How did you end up where you're at spiritually? How'd you end up at Northern Hills? I just love hearing the stories. But we have a real challenge here at Northern Hills. I really believe God is calling us to step up and be a church that has stories worth telling. Some of you may not even know some of the stories of this church. You know, 30 years ago, there's this little smattering of people that believed Colorado needed a church in this area. And they took this massive step of faith and stumbled along their way. You know, there were people doing prayer walks around this property long before you were sitting in a cushy seat with AC happening in the room. There was faith happening in this place. I really believe we need to be a church that lives with the kind of faith that helps kids see the power of God long before they leave this place. So by the time they leave Northern Hills, they have incredible stories of the work of God that has happened through this place. They need to see revival. They need to see the power of God. We need to live the kind of faith where it's worth writing a book about what happened here. I'm hoping long after I'm dead, there's some random author who's like, the stories of God's miraculous works at Northern Hills, this random church in Colorado where God just moved powerfully, historically, because it's for the kids. It's for the kids. I want every child that grows up in this church, by the time they leave, they could think of nothing else than giving their lives fully to the work of God because they've seen him work so powerfully in the community they grew up in. That is our responsibility, to live that kind of faith where stories are worth telling and that we are passing on to the kids. We have to tell the stories, Northern Hills. These kids need to hear the stories of faith, but it's not even just that. We must teach the way. We keep working through this passage in Psalm 78, verse five. It says, he, talking about God, issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He's passing down his teachings here. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So interesting. First, the challenge is you got to tell the stories, the power and miraculous works of God. But there's another level to this too. You need to pass on the teachings, the instruction, the moral framework to help kids live in the ways of God and pass it on to many generations after themselves. The primary resource for doing this that we see is the Bible. It is God's primary tool for forming our hearts and our minds in his will and ways. So much so that Paul writing many years even after this Psalm says this in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is an unbelievable statement from Paul. He's making the case that this is not just some bland history book. This is the living active word of God that can speak to your very soul that God can communicate with you and shape your heart and your mind and give you the power to live out his will. As powerful as this is, we're at an interesting moment in our culture. There's actually a lot of scholars and researchers saying we are in a biblical literacy crisis right now. That we are at a moment in time where the importance and centrality of the Bible is being completely lost in our culture. So much so that here's what some of the studies have shown. 
82% of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. Now, here's what you need to know. You better hope that's not in the Bible because there ain't no way you're helping yourself. You better hope that's not in the Bible. 82%. Here's another one. 60% of Americans cannot name five of the 10 commandments. 60%. This was my favorite. 12% of adults believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) There's somebody in the room right now like, she wasn't? I'm I'm gonna have to Google that a little bit later. I'm not so sure about that. I always thought that was the case. 40% of churchgoers. Now get this. If you are a churchgoer on any level, you are a minority. This is not a normal thing to do to show up to a building on Sunday and go to church. So this is a rare thing. 40% of churchgoers read the Bible only occasionally. 20% of churchgoers never read the Bible. So think about that. The majority of people who even place any priority of church participation and attendance still don't have the Bible and God's word as a part of their regular spiritual life. We have more Bibles and apps and books and study guides than we have ever had in the history of the world. We have more access than we have ever seen. And yet here's the deal. Access is not the same thing as application. Those are two very different things. Just because you have access to a bunch of stuff doesn't mean you're actually living it out. I have never caught this before, this connection between these two passages. I think this is absolutely fascinating that Paul would make this connection. We just read that verse about God's word being inspired, right? One verse before that. So this is one continuous thought for Paul. In verse 15, look what Paul says to Timothy. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from what? childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul just said? He said, Timothy, you have had the unbelievable privilege and benefit of getting exposed to God's word from a young age. It has been so impactful in your life that it has played a primary role for you even having a relationship with Jesus that has saved your very soul. That exposure as a child set you on that spiritual trajectory. This is our challenge, church. Whatever influence you have in the life of a child, whatever opportunities God gives you to instill faith into the next generation, the Bible has to play a role in that. It has to be a piece of raising kids up. And so for anybody in here, maybe you're a grandparent, you're a parent, uncle, aunt, You need to just decide, man, I need to make sure the Bible is just part of my installation of these kids. Find a good kid's Bible. Make it a part of your time with them. It has to be a priority because kids have to understand this is your lifeblood spiritually, kids. Get in this young from childhood. This can set you on a path to have your very soul saved. For the people in our church, maybe you serve in our kids' ministry. You serve in our student ministry. Or even, honestly, if you just attend We need kids to see us with Bibles. Kids need to see you with Bibles. If you're walking in the kids' ministry, I want to challenge you. Just bring a Bible. You're like, Brian, I'm never going to open it. Just walk around with it then. Just walk around with the Bible. Let them see you with it. If you're you're in our student ministry for Icon, walk in there. Let students see you with a Bible. This is just like a little tip I give even some of the parents. Don't just read your Bible on your phone or an iPad. Because your kids are going to think, oh, there's mom and dad ignoring me again on Instagram for another seven hours. Take a Bible out. 
Make sure your kids see you with a Bible, that it plays an important role in your life. They got to see a Bible. It's not even just biblical teaching though. Guys, I think there's a layer here for biblical values actually too. Nicole and I read a book a couple of years ago called Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family, written by this guy named Patrick Lencioni, which he has some great business and leadership books. Any of you guys who manage staff or run businesses, some great resources from this guy. But this is actually a book on how to really identify and give language to unique values and convictions that God has placed in your life. And even if you're not married, you're single, whatever your season of life is, I actually did these exercises long before even meeting Nicole. So this is really beneficial wherever you are in your life. But Nicole and I used this book as a way to formulate some of our own unique family values. So this is actually something we put on our fridge right here. This is like our family value sheet. It just says the biggers are a Jesus-centered family committed to living in light of eternity and building community that changes lives. So for Nicole and I, through this book, we're like, okay, for us, faith is truly the most important thing to us. And I know it's like, well, hopefully, Brian, you know, you're a pastor, but truly that's an easy thing to drift. So we're like, we are Jesus-centered. That is the most critical thing for us. But secondly, we say we want to live in light of eternity. For Nicole and I, this is a personal conviction. This is our values. We just hate wasting time. All right, life is short. There ain't much time. So we want to live in light of eternity. So anytime we have a major decision or something, we say, is this going to matter for eternity? Is this what we want to invest our time and our money in? That is just a value for us. And then the last thing is building community that changes lives. We feel a unique call to cultivate community and relationships with people that help build up the church, bring people into the fold of the kingdom, and really create just dynamic transformation in people's lives. That's, that's our unique value. So that's why we're always flooding our house with people. We're inviting people in. We're trying to create connections because that's our unique convictions we feel like God has given us. I'm wondering though, what has God placed in you? What unique biblical values has God driven into your soul that he wants you to live out and even instill in the next generation? Because this isn't just for my own family. This is what I'm trying to live out for the benefit of any kid or next generation person coming up behind me. These are values. I've heard a lot of creative ideas from other people too. Just people in the church, people have told me they developed like spiritual traditions in their life that they want to pass on to people. I've had people tell me they keep a journal and they want to pass that journal on to the generations after them to see the work of God in their life and encourage them. Some people, they have spiritual artifacts, like objects that have played important, that just mean something to them spiritually that they want to pass on to people. What are you instilling in this next generation? How are you teaching and passing on the values and teachings of God and his word to this next generation? It is a challenge every single person who follows Jesus has and a responsibility we all carry. You have to tell the stories. You gotta teach the way. We got one other responsibility though. We must raise up a spiritual family. Let's finish out this Psalm, verse seven. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. So we're talking about, again, passing on generational legacy here. What's really interesting to me is you read through the Bible and any time it's talking about God's people, it uses family language. So God never talks about his people in like business terms, like employees. He almost rarely even talks about friends. Primarily the language around the people of God is family. 
Brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers. So Paul at one point, right in Timothy, says to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now again, Paul and Timothy were not related to each other genetically. But Paul had played such a critical role in Timothy's spiritual formation that he calls him a son. Peter, and you see this many times even in the New Testament, but at one point he says, my brothers and sisters. He's writing to a church right now. Paul at another point, again writing to Timothy, says, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. I know I've said this many times before from on the, on the stage. Church is not an event you attend, everybody. It is a family you love. You are in a room with brothers and sisters right now. Now, we may be a dysfunctional family at times. I will admit that, but we are family nonetheless. You've got brothers, you've got sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith. That's what this is right here. And I'm wondering, does anybody in here have any big brothers or sisters, spiritually speaking? Do you have any spiritual mothers and fathers? Do you have anybody who, even though they may not be related to you, has played a massive role in your spiritual formation? I had my first taste of real spiritual family in high school. I started attending this youth group, and for the first time, I experienced what this really felt like. There were these volunteer leaders there. Some were moms, dads, young adults, whatever. They were just pouring themselves into us, checking in, building relationships, genuinely caring about our lives. And then I had peers too. We just felt connected to each other in this really profound, powerful way. I never experienced it before. But this came to another level when I got to college. I started attending this class and there was this man in the class named Wayne Barty. Now, Wayne had just recently retired as a professor from this school, and he was auditing an ancient Greek class, because that's what you do when you retire, I guess. You go to ancient Greek courses, because that makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> this is what he wanted to do with his free time, though. What I didn't know about Wayne, though, was he had been intentionally opening his life up to students on the campus, international students, other undergrads, grad students, and he actually kind of brought in me and a couple other guys. We created this little community. And he would just hang out with us. We'd read books together. We'd pray together. He was just in our lives. And Wayne and I actually got to the point where we would meet every single week in a Panera. And again, just talk life, faith, all these things. I got a front row seat to Wayne as a grandfather, as a father. I watched him as he loved and served his wife as she was getting more and more sick and eventually passed. He was actually... The last person I talked to, because I was living with him for a couple months after school, he was helping me decide whether I should ask Nicole out on a date or not. <laughs> and I still remember going out to ask her out. He's like, he's like, do it, Brian. You got this. Go after that girl. And sure enough, now we've been married almost 10 years. So thanks, Wayne. I appreciate that. But I actually have one profound memory with this guy. It was right before I moved out of his house to go to grad school. And this guy, up in years, gets on his knees and places his hands on me and prays this passionate, sincere prayer on my behalf, just asking God for his hand on my life and his power to work in and through me. My relationship had become so close with Wayne that to this day, I actually call him dad and he calls me son. And I'll be seeing him in about a week or a week and a half. There is something profoundly beautiful about these relationships. 
when you have people that are willing to sacrifice and make a spiritual deposit in your life and leave a legacy inside of you. I'm willing to bet there's some of us in this room where you may not have experienced this before. You may not have had these kinds of relationships and there's something in you that would really love to have some of them. And whatever age or stage you are, this is still something God wants to do in your life. I promise you this. And here's what I would encourage you. If you are interested in this, I would encourage you not just to go up to random people in the church and say, uh, will you parent me spiritually? Because I have a lot of dysfunction and I would love to work it out with you for the next 20 years. You can be my mom or my dad. I don't encourage that, all right? Stop, don't weird people out in our church. Here's what I encourage you to do. You might run across somebody and there's just a click. You just kind of feel a little connection and recognize that and say, you know what? You want to go out for coffee sometime? You want to grab lunch? I would love to just hear more of your story. You want to hang out and just see what happens. Sometimes you don't feel a whole lot and it's just one, one meal, one lunch. Good, you move on. Sometimes though, God really starts to start to stir, stir something in your souls. And it leads to this relationship that can profoundly change the whole trajectory of your life. Just crack the door open and see what God does. But there's another side to this too. I'm wondering, does anyone in here have spiritual sons and daughters? Do you have any spiritual little brothers and sisters? Do you have anybody who would point to you and say, that person made a massively profound impact on my life and relationship with God? This is also a responsibility we have. And what's so beautiful about this is you don't need to go off and have a bunch of biological kids yourself. You don't have to go off and adopt a bunch of kids. You can have as many spiritual kids as you want and you don't have to change their diapers or deal with all their drama, all right? This is the best case scenario for anybody. And I've had the massive privilege of being able to call some people in my life, spiritual sons, daughters, little brothers and sisters. I think of one in particular, Montrell, was a guy I ran into while living in Indianapolis. He's just a random dude. We just connected. We just hit it off. And he just started following me around everywhere. Just texting me, hitting me up, hanging out, just around. He came with me on all my trips for ministry stuff, started serving in my ministry. And it was so cool because I got to watch God move powerfully in Montreal's life to the point where I had the honor of even baptizing him. And now he is this passionate young man of God living out his faith and following Jesus. I think of another guy in my life, Tanner. Tanner was this dorky little 10-year-old kid when I first met him. He was a friend of mine's son. And I was just like, Tanner, hey man, love to hang out sometime. Just gave him my phone number. We'd play basketball here and there. He was like this tall and he had like size 14 feet. And he was just a kid in my life. I just opened my life up to him. Well, what's so cool now is he just came through the Denver airport somewhat recently and I went there to meet up with him. And now he is this six foot five passionate, Jesus-loving young man who's playing college basketball. And I just look at him and I am just overflowing with joy to see this young guy growing up the way he is. And I had the amazing privilege of just being a small part of that whole journey God's had him on. John was this writer in the New Testament. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He's not talking about physical kids. He's talking about spiritual kids. Have you had the joy of seeing people walk into the faith because of your influence on their lives? God is calling us to raise up spiritual kids. And there's a lot of us in here, you may not have even noticed some of the opportunities you have. 
You need to start opening your eyes. If you're a grandparent in here, maybe you need to decide, you know what? I need to be more intentional with the deposits I'm making in my grandkids. Not just being the fun grandpa or grandma, but really depositing and instilling things in these kids. If you're an aunt, an uncle, if you have family, if you have kids in your life through coaching or other relationships, whatever it is, where are those opportunities where you can really encourage and foster the faith in kids coming up behind you? And we're all at different points, but it might even just be Opening up a room in your house. Nicole, at, at different times in her life, we just opened up our house to college students. We've had college guys just living in our basement, which was disgusting, by the way. You guys know who you are. It smelled disgusting down there. Well, college students, other people, and you know, maybe you got some empty rooms. You're like, let's get some young people in here and just love on them, give them cheap or free rent and just do it that way. Whatever it is, God will open opportunities for you to, again, raise up spiritual kids. Now, I don't recommend that you go around being creepy again. Don't start going up to teenagers in our church saying, hey, you want me to be your big brother? Let's go hang out. No, all right? We will politely ask you to never come back to this church. But this is what is so amazing about the church. Even here at Northern Hills, for example, we have an opportunity where we can provide appropriate structured environments to help facilitate these relationships for you. So you think of our kids' ministry foundry. We're able to create this context where you can come into their lives in a safe place and start really instilling, again, faith into these kids. You will never hear me say, Northern Hills, oh, can you just go watch the kids for an hour? We need just some volunteers to watch the kids. I've told our staff many times, you will be under church discipline if you talk about our kids' ministry like that. That's not what we do. This is not one-hour daycare for the kids so adults can go to church. You are instilling a legacy of faith in the next generation. You are making a divine deposit that will set them on a trajectory for the rest of their life. You are playing a spiritual parent role in their lives. That's what you're doing when you're in the kids' ministry. For our student ministry, you're not doing crowd control for an hour to make sure nobody dies. That's not the job of serving in that ministry. When you go up there, you are opening yourself up to become a spiritual big brother or sister to students who are in the most formative seasons of their lives. And so many times you become one of the primary voices to cultivate and stir faith inside of these students. And parents, you should be so grateful that this is happening. You need way more positive voices in the lives of your kids. And you have people that are willing to sacrifice and give of their time to help leave a spiritual legacy in the lives of your kids. And I think what is most profound about this, it's not even just about the change in these kids' lives. You start to pour yourself out into the next generation, it changes you. You will not be the same. The moment you have young people depending on you to be spiritually strong, I'm telling you, it's going to raise the bar for your spiritual life. It will transform you. You will live a much more compelling and effective Christian life. And I just had to take this opportunity because I want to make sure we know about the deposit that's even happening in this church. So I want to invite somebody up who has spent years investing in this next generation. His name is David Ursic. Can we give some love to David as he comes to the stage? Come on up, David. Now, the reason I want to invite David up here is, David, you have been serving in our kids' ministry for a handful of years. How long is it, How many years has it been about, probably? Uh, no, 13, 14, 15. I don't know. 15 years. He does, he's lost count. Okay, he's in the teens already. <laughs> and here's the thing, David. You're not just, just any volunteer. You are the most consistent 
faithful, committed servant towards these kids that have everything. You never miss, basically. You pretty much never miss. For a decade and a half, this guy has been instilling faith into the kids of our church. Now, I, it's funny because I will sometimes sneak in the kids' ministries if I'm not preaching just to see what's all going on there. I'll go into David's room and they do a little offering with the kids to help them understand God is our provider and we give back to him. Well, most of the kids don't have money, mine included. I don't give money. But David, every week, if they don't have anything to give, he'll start handing out quarters to all the kids so they have something to give for the offering. David, I want to thank you for the years of quarters that you've given to this church. I'm sure it's thousands upon thousands of dollars at this point. But I really wanted to ask you, what has it done in your own life now? You've been 15 years pouring into these kids' lives. What has it done for you? Well, Brian, I'm, I feel very blessed to be able to serve in this capacity for them little ones. Uh, my Sunday is not complete without serving and then coming in here and being served myself. And uh, I'd just like to say out to the families, the parents, everybody out there, thank you for planting that seed of faith in them little ones because they come to our classroom and through our songs and our stories and the craft that is associated to that story, uh, we get to watch them grow. All we do is add the water, and we watch God do his work. And it's evident that a couple weeks ago, we had two sisters that were baptized up here that came through the program. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Dave, I, I really just want to thank you because my son is actually in David's class. Mm -hmm. And my son has another man in his life who knows his name, is pouring into his life and instilling faith in him. And my son always talks about Mr. David at the house. And David, I just want to thank you for being a spiritual father to my son and thank raising you. him up to be a great man in this generation. So just thank appreciate you. you so much. Thank you so much, David. I believe God is calling some of us in this room to be spiritual fathers and mothers big brothers and sisters to make the sacrifice to pour your life into this next generation. And I want to challenge you not to ignore that prompting and truly take a step and see what God does for you to leave a real legacy in the lives of kids. And we are so serious about this, guys. We're not just stopping there. That is why we are launching Hills Academy. That is the whole vision behind this thing. We want to set up a next generation to truly live in the power of God, to have a totally different spiritual trajectory, to live in this culture with power and favor and transform it from the inside out. This is meant to be a world-class Christian early education center that will raise up some of the greatest Christian leaders we've ever seen. That is the standard we want to set. And what's so amazing about this opportunity is we have the facility, we have the space. This ministry will have zero facility costs. Those savings get passed on to the families. We can still do it at a high quality. It's desperately needed in our area. We'll launch it as a preschool, phase into daycare, and it can do anything from there. I'm gonna make Pastor John stress out even more talking about what this can become. That's, that's the vision, everyone. Here's what is so amazing about this. It's been three Sundays we've talked about this. This is just the fourth one. Three weeks. We came to everybody three weeks ago and said, guys, at a bare minimum, we need $50,000 to even have a conversation about this. This is our lipstick on the pig money, as we've described it. <laughs> we don't talk if we don't even get that in. And 
I know you, some of you guys, you might think, well, that's kind of a low ball number. That's a lot of change, guys. That's a lot of money for our church. And so Pastor John and I were like, okay, that's a faith stretch. Let's see if we can get there because this ain't some five-year-long campaign. This is, we want to go now. We want to put our foot on the gas. Well, anybody want an update? Want to hear how this is going? Three weeks, guys. Three weeks, we put this challenge in front of the church. And in three weeks, we are already at $181,000. That deserves a clap right there. $181,000 in three weeks. We have not seen anything like that happen in the history of the church of such quick, aggressive generosity in this church. And I'm going to tell you right now, we've actually had some more large gifts come in just in the last few days that we're not counting. So I'm telling you, we are quadrupling our initial goal after three weeks, Northern Hills. That's something to celebrate in this church. $181,000. What's even more amazing about that is more than half of that is already given. That's already in the bank. And the rest are going to be commitments that come in through the rest of this year. Pastor John and I are meeting with our landscaper next week. Guys, we're moving dirt in the next couple of weeks. We're going to update the whole outside area. This thing is happening. This thing is moving. We're doing this thing. I, I was talking to one of our staff this last week, and she's like, she's like, Brian, it just feels like God is putting the wind at our back right now. I just sense his favor. It feels like his hand is all over it. I hope you guys are feeling that too. You sense just God working. You see him starting to move. He's starting to stir stuff. And we are on track to see some incredible things happen in these coming years. We are still praying very hard for this director. We're having conversations with people. We've had some interviews. I'm asking you guys to pray. That is our last critical piece. We can't launch without that. So I'm gonna ask you, please be praying for this. And I, again, you always say, I don't want weak sauce prayers. Don't give me some of that lame stuff like, oh yeah, we'll pray, Brian, and not do it. No, put it on the list, set a reminder on your phone, pray for this thing. And we've had 100 people commit on some level towards that 181,000, which I'm so grateful to you, 100 folks, families who've done that. I still want to put this out there. I want everybody to be involved with this. I want everybody to have the satisfaction of knowing you invested in eternity and the lives of this next generation. For a lot of us, this is going to be a spiritual legacy for you. For many of us, Hills Academy may outlive you. <laughs> it may outlive me. You might get called to other states, other ministries, different seasons of life. You will always be able to look back and say, the hundreds and even thousands of kids coming through this academy are kids that I was able to help raise up. And I just think of all of the volunteers, the staff, the people who are gonna be involved with this effort. These kids are going to have spiritual mothers and fathers, big brothers and sisters that are setting them on a spiritual trajectory from the youngest, most critical ages. And we're going to be able to send out these kids to have a massive impact in this world, not just to survive this culture, to thrive in it and transform it from the inside out. That is what we want to see happen. And so I'm asking you, this is the last Sunday we're going to make a push on this. If you've been processing, praying, maybe you've heard it for the first time today, I want to ask you to get some skin in the game. And we've been asking everybody to pray about a one-time special gift to give this thing financial momentum because we got to get things moving. We need some money in the bank, but also to pray about a monthly commitment through the rest of the year, June through December. Again, this is a sprint, guys. This ain't a multi-year thing. We're going hard now. And 
you can do any of these things if you have made those monthly commitments. Would love for them to start now. It's June. So I did mine yesterday, actually. did my first monthly June commitment, and would love for you to do that. The physical commitment cards are on the chairs. If you like the old pen-style version, fill out the cards. You can drop it right by the um, hot air balloon in the lobby. But if you're more digital, you just go to nhills.org slash hillsacademy. It has all the info on there, all the stuff happening. You can even... Uh, fill out a form if you're interested for your own kids or other people's kids to start getting on the list for interest with that. But it's been incredible, everybody. See, we've had contractors stepping up. We have people with certifications and other things that might help. If you think you have any skill set, interest, passion, whatever, we are open. We're taking anything we can for somebody who wants to help move this thing forward. If you're interested for your kids, whatever it is, please email John. J-O-N-H, that's correct, at nhills.org. It isn't J-O-H-N, J-O-N-H at nhills.org. Email Pastor John, blow his email inbox up. Just blow it up, all right? Send him all sorts of spam and ridiculous emails, all the things. But this was just icing on the cake, everybody. To me, this was just an affirmation from God. We didn't plan this. This just happened this last week. We had a young person in our church who articulated that he truly wanted to go public in his faith. He had a sincere conviction that it was obvious that God was moving his life. And at the 9 a.m. service, we baptized a student that was in David Ursick's class over the years. That's little Cole Cummings right there who got baptized at the 9 a.m. service, declaring his faith in Jesus. We want to do that hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of times over to raise up this next generation send them out in this world to transform it, leaving a spiritual legacy that will last far beyond ourselves. So Northern Hills, this may be the end of a series. This is just the beginning of a move of God. This ain't just something we want to do. This is who we are as a church. We raise up this next generation. We send them out in the power and presence of God. This is a call we have on our church. Let's be a church that changes the spiritual trajectory of this next generation. Let's raise up some of the greatest Christian leaders this world has ever seen. Let's let these kids grow up at a place that has stories worth telling. Let's go out there and see a move of God for these kids. And I believe this is just the beginning, church. As we step out, we are gonna see a God who makes a way. We're gonna see a God who moves powerfully, praying for revival in the lives of these kids. And it's up to us to create that for them. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. What an outpouring of generosity we've seen in three weeks, Lord. Oh, almost $200,000. Thank you for the generosity of our church. Thank you for the faith, Lord. Now, God, I pray for more. I pray you move in power. I pray you increase our faith. I pray you move on our behalf. I pray for the sake of these kids, Lord, that we would be a church that raises up the greatest generation this world has seen. I pray these kids will grow up in an environment where they experience the power and presence of God in such profound ways. By the time they leave here, they are bringing your presence into every sphere of this world and culture. God, give us that favor. Let us live lives that are worth telling stories about. And I pray you make a way on our behalf, God. Open the floodgates of heaven. 
I pray Hills Academy would be an institution that transforms Colorado and beyond, that we would set the trend for raising kids up. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.